Office space and the people that occupy it, those are among the top concerns of the Defense Department leadership these days. In fact, a top naval officer said last week the department simply has too much space. Yet it and the other armed forces have trouble keeping and finding people in important positions. For more, we turn to Federal News Network reporters Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. Jared, we'll start with you. Some interesting comments made about naval office space at the Sea Air Space Forum last week. What do they say? Looks like it's more than just commentary at this point. Naval Facilities Engineering Command, in in partnership with other elements of the Navy, are taking a real serious look at how much office space they actually need. Remember the days when BRAC was still part of the discussion? All of the military services, even at that point, pre-COVID, thought that they had more real estate than they could meaningfully put to use, and that's the reason that they, over several consecutive years, asked unsuccessfully Congress to grant uh, permission to do another round of base realignments and closures. Well, now, post-COVID, I don't think anybody, any of the services, probably any federal agency expects to utilize as much real estate as they had pre-pandemic. To some extent or another, telework is going to be more a part of an enduring future across all agencies, I think everybody recognizes at this point. To deal with that, what NAFAC and other parts of the Navy are doing right now is kind of a three-legged effort. They're, they're looking, first of all, at, at the way buildings are designed so that they can make them safer for federal employees uh, to, to deal with things like pandemics in the future, to look at things like HVAC, how doors and windows are opened and closed, what sensors and mechanisms control those sorts of things, and how you physically uh, lay out desks in an office. Another thing that they're looking at is uh, the degree to which technology has reduced the need for people to be in the office, period, meaning all people, and then in partnership with elements of the Navy's HR enterprise, figuring out exactly which types of positions require in-person attendance and how often. So pretty ambitious effort that spans a lot of disciplines. They've started a prototype project at the Washington Navy Yard to start to look at all of those things, and I would expect it to expand uh, to, to bigger pieces of the Navy in the future. So in many ways, they're thinking about their civilian workforce, which if you look at the, just the D.C. area, there are probably dozens of office buildings in which one Navy office or another has some substantial space. Yeah, that's right. And I, I wouldn't say it's just civilians, but but both largely civilians, definitely a lot of uniformed uh, folks working in, in those buildings as well. But many of those buildings are also leased space that if the Navy can compress the amount of total square footage it, it realistically needs in the future, there's a good chance they could get, it, get out of a lot of or all of that leased space that they've got scattered around places like Washington, D.C. And another reason this is important is because, as we said, the Navy and all of the services have have more infrastructure than they can afford to maintain, they say. And almost ritualistically, budget documents over the years have shown that maintaining what they own is is a relatively low priority. That's also true in the 2022 budget. They're only funding about 80% of their actual maintenance requirements, which is even lower than the 90% goal that the Department of Defense has set. And that's just going to make, that's just going to create an even bigger backlog of unfunded maintenance if, if something isn't done. The Navy, all by itself has a backlog of $17.1 billion in facility maintenance that's awaiting attention. And Scott, with respect to the people that occupy those offices, there's news now on the vaccine front. That's right. It looks like Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin will be asking for permission to make all vaccines mandatory for military service members uh, no later than mid-September or immediately upon the FDA's licensure of the the vaccine, whichever one of those comes first. They're expecting that the Pfizer vaccine could achieve the full licensure by early next month. 
as in September. So in these few weeks between the transition, he is still telling people to get the vaccine as much as they possibly can, but to expect that they will be required to get that at some point. There has been some reticence within the military community to get this vaccine. So this is something that's possibly controversial for some of the military members. In the meantime, there is action in Congress to help the Defense Department I guess it's a retention issue. Keep people in key positions that seem to be leaving sooner than their usefulness to the military runs out. What's going on? Well, for quite a few years now, the Congress and Defense Department have been really worried about uh, keeping people in the mil- in the military, in the civilian positions, and especially in areas that are hard to fill. We're talking cyber positions, nuclear positions, so- things like that. Uh, This newest House Appropriations Bill uh, for 2022 is especially concerned with the STEM type uh, occupations and and those sorts of uh, career paths. What they're doing is they're asking DOD to establish a workforce pipeline strategy that will delineate the programs and funding levels of those related programs to bring people in to the military uh, for those positions. Uh, And it also will talk a little bit about promoting the advancement for uh, different genders, minorities, individuals with disabilities, military students and veterans. Uh, So it looks like the, the Congress is really saying, why is it, why are we not keeping these people after all the different things that we've been doing? They've changed ways that you can promote. Uh, they've created spot promotions in the past, uh, different authorities like that. And the and Congress really just hasn't seen the results it's been hoping to see. So they're asking for quite a few strategies, quite a few different uh, plans to uh, see how these hi- hiring authorities are doing and uh, see what's taking the so long to fill these positions and why they're not actually being filled when they, they could be, especially with the bonuses and things like that they have. And you are reporting this is part of the appropriations bill whipping up in the House. Is it also a part of the NDAA, which the House has finished with its version, the Senate with its version? They just have to reconcile. Right. We don't have anything necessarily in there that's exactly like this, but they tend to add different provisions you know, here and there between the appropriations and the uh, authorization bills. So even if this does go in, it shouldn't really be an issue for any Congress, no one's stepping on each other's toes or anything like that. And you're also reporting that the GAO has found that some of the DOD components that are doing contracting for overseas operations, which admittedly are shrinking back day by day, nevertheless deal with contractors that might, because they're not U.S. contractors operating under U.S. law necessarily, might be dealing with human trafficking, but that the DOD doesn't have sufficient visibility into that. What's the latest? Right. This new report finds that the Pentagon's not fulfilling its duties in vetting these contractors for the violations. And what they found is that uh, 12 of the 14 Army and Navy contracting officers that GAO spoke with just weren't aware of their responsibilities on the issue. They had limited oversight on the contractors. And, you know, really, that's a big concern, especially when the Defense Department says it has a no tolerance uh, policy for human trafficking. Now, since the 1990s, there's been allegations of abuse of foreign workers in contracts overseas. And uh, and actually in 2017, the Army banned a subcontractor from federal work for almost three years after violating Kuwaiti laws and engaging in human trafficking. So, uh, and, and what they did specifically was withhold payment for work. So at this point, GAO is making six recommendations. They're asking for better guidance to, to enforce trafficking responsibilities, and then also for the offices to just really enforce their training much better as well. Federal News Network, Scott Mossioni and Jared Serbu. Check out their latest DOD Reporters Notebook at federalnewsnetwork.com. Looking for holiday gifts for less? 
Come to Ross and say yeah to making your dollar stretch on name brand toys, clothes, and gifts. Get the gift of savings this holiday from Ross. Yes for less. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.